I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. And I'm Rebecca Frank. Mm. And- <laughs> you, sh- <laughs> you sure are. And here we are again, slash still, having our current historical, hysterical, and infuriating conversation about our lives as vagina has- having organisms. Having organisms. <laughs> All content made up on the spot, but probably researched. Just kidding. Fools. It's definitely researched. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Today, we have a really awesome guest uh, named Madiba, who has her own podcast called Bard and Bougie. But first, um, we're going to talk about the case with Santoya Brown, because we get into that in depth with uh, Madiba. Yeah. And, we, and just in case uh, you all don't know too much about it, uh, we want to give you an overview, but just a little trigger warning. It's a super upsetting case, and it's super duper unjust. Mm. Um but yeah. <laughs> super du- not just super yeah. super duper I had unjust. to I had to add something because I was like <laughs> super is just not enough very much so super duper and extra also very much so <laughs> especially especially <laughs> all right so um the ca- the original case with Centoya Brown happened uh, on August 7th of 2004 when the Nashville police responded to a 911 call and found the body of a 43-year-old real estate developer named Johnny Allen. He was found naked, lying face down on the bed, and had been shot in the back of the head. The next day, the police discovered Allen's pickup truck in a parking lot and were able to tie it to then 16-year-old Centoya Brown, who was staying in a nearby motel with a man that she called Cutthroat. Sounds like a gem to me. Yeah, sounds 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 like somebody who has a lot of tattoos on their neck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no offense to anybody who is not a dick and has tattoos on their right, neck. Right, right. All the power to you. More power to you. Your body, your choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was found with Alan's wallet and some of his guns. Some of his guns. <laughs> just some just of them. Just a few. Just a handful of guns. <laughs> um, so, reminder that she was 16 years old. Um, so, at the time, she... Re- waived her Miranda rights and told investigators that she had been solicited for sex by Alan on August 6th and that she had driven to that he had driven her to his home where he showed her his guns and became violent and 
uh, Brown said she feared for her life and killed him with a 40 caliber handgun that she had in her purse. Um, it was also later uh, publicized that she was being pimped out by the cut lovely throat. cutthroat. By cutthroat. By cutthroat, who I'm sure was not intimidating or scary in any way, shape, or form. So, uh, so she was a minor. Um, she had been solicited for sex by an adult. Uh, but the prosecutors argued that her real motive was robbery and charged her as an adult with first-degree felony murder and aggravated robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was given a life sentence. At 16 years at old. At 16 years old. First of all, how are you tried as an adult at 16 years old? Mm-hmm. Second of all, that's like a huge hole in our system that like women being domestically abused, defending themselves is... Um, that it's that it's criminal in some way. Yeah, it's and it's interesting too because I feel like there's a lot of cases where people who have been domestically abused kill them when they're asleep, mm-hmm. and so that's seen as uh, not self-defense. It's premeditated, but at that point, if somebody's been domestically abused for so long, what choice do they have? Right, to and leave? and on top of that, keeping in mind the fact that the most some of the most dangerous moments for an abused person is right mm-hmm. after they leave. And so when everyone says, well, why don't you lo- just leave? Why don't you just leave? That could be signing your own death warrant. Absolutely. Um, and that she was trafficked. Um, but another thing that I think that's misrepresented in sex work is that it's often a way like, I, well, I guess this isn't a good example because she, that wasn't a way out, right? She was sex trafficked. Um, she was, she was, um, was she a sex worker or she was sex trafficked? She, so she, I think that at that age, and I could be wrong, so please write in and correct me if I am. Um, at that, at sixteen, I don't. Given consent laws, mm-hmm. I don't know whether. Like, I think now, if you're, there is a law put into place in Tennessee, which is where this all happened, that if you are uh, under the age of eighteen, you cannot be arrested for prostitution. So, if Brown had been, that went into place in the last number of years. So, if she had been arrested now, mm-hmm. she would have been treated as a as a child human trafficking victim. So, wait, what? So if she was arrested, if if this occurred now in 2018 right. and she was oh, 16 okay. years old and she was, changed. it changed afterwards. Got so it. she would have been treated as a trafficking victim and okay. not as a, pro- not as like a consenting sex worker or a prostitute. Right. Um, because she is below the age of consent. Is that how she was treated though as a sex worker? She was, uh, one of the things that they talked about, there is a documentary called Me Facing Life's and Toya's Story, which mm-hmm. brought attention to it. It was, I think it was put out in like 2011. Um, and one of the things that the documentary did was it shone a light on the shortcomings and prejudices endemic to the criminal justice system in the United States. So okay. her original trial was see- seen through the lens that she was a woman of color engaging in sex work. Right. And so she was like Got lower it. than low. Okay. It made me think of it because um, the thing that is often misrepresented in sex work is that it's often a way out of another impossible exploitation situation. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the Women's Empowerment Center had a seminar about consent and trafficking with the Asian community. And a lot of the case studies were women, especially older women who were trafficked by their own family because they were given housing for free so that they were forced to work in a family restaurant for like zero to twelve dollars and shifts that were like 12 hours, six to seven days a week. And sex work was actually a way for them to get their own money and possibly work towards a future where they can get out. And maybe you're like making a shitty choice because you're in an impossible fucking situation. Right. But to your point, talking about uh, impossible situations, um, Santoya Brown's mother was a heavy drinker. And when she ultimately testified in court, um, she said that she drank as much of a fifth a day throughout her pregnancy. And as a wow. result, Santoya, uh, um, 
one of Centoya Brown's lawyers used uh, fetal alcohol being on the fetal alcohol disorder spectrum Mm -hmm. as part of the defense because it can result in poor impulse control and a disconnect between thought and action. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was placed in foster care at eight months old and was a runaway as a teen. Um, And she was raped and assaulted numerous times. Uh, over the time I'm not sure I couldn't find whether or not she was assaulted when she was in foster care or just after she ran away right but either way she was running away from something Mm -hmm. you know and lord knows our foster care system is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination um and and none of this stuff was taken into consideration like what her childhood was like Mm -hmm. what her growing up was like um and the fact that she ended up in this situation with this guy who abused her sexually, physically, and emotionally. Honestly, the fact that under those circumstances and being devalued to such a huge degree that she had the wherewithal to protect herself mm-hmm. is really speaks volumes yeah. of like her desire to to survive. She was fucking surviving. Yes, exactly. What exactly. Is, like, reading the story, hearing this story, like there's, what the fuck was she supposed to do? What outlets did she have? What help did she have? What safe place? Yeah. And in this case, and in a lot of cases like it, people are judged on one moment in their life. Mm -hmm. And of course, sometimes people do horrible things and they should be held accountable in this kind of way. But in this case, I think it's really, really important to look at the big picture and to say this was not a consenting adult. This was someone who was sold for sex for $150 Mm -hmm. with a man three times her age. Yeah. So she was ultimately uh, granted clemency in 2019 by Governor Bill Haslam as he was um, exiting office. So just this ja- just this January, mm-hmm. and she will get out in August. But by the time she gets out, she'll have served, I think, 15 years. And fuck? that yeah, is, seriously. she's been in jail for, for 15 just... 15 years for self-defense. Yeah, and for as long as she was out of jail. Yeah. She was 16 when she got put in jail and she's and this 15 years later I was listening to this thing on my way over here there's this cool HBO um series on now and it's about one of the things is about prison and one of the one of the seasons is about education mm. and what this guy was saying this might not be relevant but what he was saying was that you release people who have been specifically people who were arrested in their youth and you release them into society as a 30 or 40 year old and they have nothing they have not only do they have nothing but they last time they interacted with the world they were a teenager yeah. they haven't learned any of those skills to interact with the world as an adult so how do we help them and now what exactly and one of the things that we discussed with Madiba was was a larger question here because obviously Sintoya getting out of prison is a really really big win it shouldn't have taken this long but is this going to set a precedent Mm -hmm. or is she going to be just um one lucky person yeah so how how come you stayed with him you're not listening i'm making money he wasn't gonna let me go nowhere he's telling me to kill me he knows where my mom lives and i'm not like dude child means not most best dad he's not afraid Well, let's just uh, have you tell us a little bit about your podcast Please. and sure. why you decided to do it. And yeah. then we can just like fawn all over you for a few minutes <laughs> and, then we'll, and then we'll carry on. <laughs> uh, sure. So my podcast is called Bard and Bougie. 
Um, I'm an attorney and a black woman, clearly. Um, (laughs) And I just found myself increasingly fed up with the poor state of legal and political news coverage uh, and just like complete failures in a bunch of different ways. And I just felt like people talking about the law who had no understanding about the law whatsoever and weren't even like trying to seek out understanding. Mm -hmm. I think it's like one thing to like not be aware, but another to just be like, confidently misinformed and like run with that and share that information like it's facts and then on top of it it was this like very narrow focus on like exclusively white people specifically like cis white men and that's useless Mm -hmm. like that's like this overwhelming dominant perspective and it's like missing huge swaths of the country and so I felt like young people and like young women and young women of color just like weren't being reached at all and I wanted to be able to make the law make sense and like actually get to our legal and political concerns because I just felt like it was a a gap that needed to be filled. Mm-hmm. I mean, thinking about thinking about the way that the law is covered and the way people talk about it, I think that there's so much um, there's so there's such a lack of information mm-hmm. and accessible information or or people don't have the habit of fact checking or looking right. up things for themselves. Uh-huh. And so people just believe, like, I mean, we think about that McDonald's hot coffee yeah. scenario, uh-huh. right? And everyone made fun of this woman right. for burning herself with this cup of hot coffee and Mm -hmm. everyone was like oh America's so litigious all this shit and it turns out the coffee was what 190 degrees yeah and Uh, nobody ever hears that and the only reason I know that is because one of my really good friends is a lawyer mm -hmm. and and like I know that's a silly example but there's just there's no it makes complete sense like if not for like you know these corporate mega corporations like McDonald's are going to have a strong propaganda game Uh, Republicans in office have a strong propaganda game Uh, so you need to like actually clear through that nonsense and like just say what the facts are in a way that people can understand oh and a way that like relates to people as well because I don't know like I guess for a sort of off the cuff example uh, Chuck Grass I want to say it was Chuck Grassley like recently was like oh Donald Trump when you're giving this speech tonight make sure you act like you're talking to Iowans and not New Yorkers and it's like you know there are like millions of people who live yeah. in New York right? yeah <laughs> like, yeah we're not nobody yeah <laughs> so like we are we are just as American as people in Iowa I mean, it's one of the wonderful things about podcasting is that you get an opportunity with like a relatively low barrier to entry to share your opinions with other people. And Mm -hmm. there's and I think that but then on the other end of it, it's like you have to have a it's the same as anything else. You have to have a machine behind you to get your message out and all this other kind Uh of stuff. But I think that what you're doing is like really incredible, really well researched. That's so validating. (laughs) (laughs) So good. It's like Um, I have like, you know, like some like friends ask me like, how are you doing both your job and doing this podcast? And I'm like, simple. I'm doing both poorly. (laughs) No, you're you're crushing it. You're crushing it. So what's your uh, background in criminal justice? So I don't have much of a criminal justice background. I did. Yeah. So I did um, some like civil civil law. Um, My first job out of law school, I was working at a domestic violence services agency um, where I did some like family law type work, like working on abuse survivors, like divorces. Mm -hmm. And also I did some like immigration related cases as well from when I had undocumented survivors of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And now, yeah. uh, And now I've been working on public housing issues uh, with the city. Um, So I guess I haven't done 
explicitly criminal justice related things, but it's something that I've been very interested in and like pay attention to and research and such. Okay. Uh, yeah, definitely something I like considered going into and like still sort of like flirt with the idea of going back to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. right. I'd like to ask you with Sintoya Brown being released. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious what your feelings are with the way that self-defense law is written. Oh, yeah. And how yeah. it maybe doesn't support women's self-defense oh, as much as men's doesn't. self-defense. It absolutely doesn't. That area of the law relies on what they call like a reasonable person standard. And the reasonable person standard almost always actually means like a reasonable like white man standard. And so like... A, like a jury or like a, an, an attorney may assume that, you know, like a reasonable white man who is generally more like safe and has resources isn't going to like shoot this like sleeping man and kill him because like he can just leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's not taking into account there like a woman or like a, a younger, like low income woman of color who has been like systematically abused for years mm-hmm. is going to be traumatized and is going to feel that fear and may think that like this is her only option for safety. And so yeah, I, I remember uh, seeing things like that in my like law school classes and we're like going over self-defense cases. Uh, like you'll see, like you'll might see a case where someone's like, oh, like, you know, they obviously weren't a threat. It's like, no, like whenever this person is awake, they are a threat. So this right. is her one chance. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been my my same friend who is in law school had pointed this out to me and I'd never really thought about it before. Just the the way that that all works mm-hmm. of of I mean, the the gendered aspect of it of like thinking that men are generally like bigger yeah. and all mm-hmm. this other stuff and and the discrepancy in uh the ability to earn wages and mm-hmm. so like are you able to leave like what right. can you go anywhere and so uh-huh. when's your when is your opportunity mm-hmm. yeah and the fact that that women are punished for taking an opportunity to free themselves from, mm-hmm. from and there's a, no protections for them set up beforehand in general yeah so, right like, like yeah I was what are they just, supposed to do? Like, where, where? what's the bookend on that? Like, right. you can't protect, there's nothing set up for you to bookend yourself. And then mm-hmm. if you do protect yourself or find a, an opening. Yeah, I was, this is like kind of pathetic, but I was just watching, I started the Law and Order SVS series from the <laughs> nice. beginning recently. And I got to tell you, Detective Munch is like way before his time on mm. a lot of things, which I didn't realize <laughs> until I was watching again. But I learned that in, so I want to say the first season was like in 98 maybe 97 98 there was no punishment in new york state for stalking Mm, there was Uh there was no way to criminalize stalking Mm -hmm. and so a woman who was being stalked by somebody had no recourse Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know that we have that much recourse now yeah to be honest but it just wasn't even like a concept didn't even Uh exist yeah you couldn't go to the cops and be like oh this person has been showing up at my house has been sending me flowers has been reaching out to my family has been doing all of these things Mm -hmm. you know and at that point now they can be like well if they come within 300 feet you can call us and it's like well but that's the thing is like restraining orders are kind of useless aren't they because like because someone might violate it anyway yeah Uh and it might be too late at that point can't call a restraining order when somebody's in your house with a gun right yeah yeah (laughs) I think there's some sort of like hope there that just like the incentives of not having their restraining order enforced will be like sufficient to keep people away. Mm-hmm. But you're right that like law, like any other institution, only has the force that we give it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, since we were on the Sintoya Brown case, mm-hmm. um, and obviously like you can't see the future or anything, but my my concern with it is that 
um, there was a lot of kind of celebrity push. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. became kind of like a, a cause, which like my feeling is that she should never have been imprisoned in the first place. Right. And certainly not yeah. for the amount of time that she uh-huh. was. Um, but I wonder whether this was, I, I would really hate for this to be um, a, just kind of like a like one off. T- yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. Where it's like everyone, everyone who, got engaged in this case which has been coming up pretty regularly for the Mm -hmm. last number of years if you pay attention um that people got interested in it and were like this is clearly very unjust and Mm -hmm. then you got some celebrity power behind it and she got freed which she fucking should Mm -hmm. right yeah but is it going to protect all of the other people that could like i don't understand why we try people as adults Uh if the if the if you become an, an adult at a certain time I understand that that there's this desire, I guess, to punish people to the extent of the law and to say, you know, you're you you know what's right or what's wrong. But why do we have such a such a strong line for like voting, for example, mm-hmm. and not for for your actions and when yeah. you're held accountable for certain things? Right. Like no one looks at like a 16 year old is like, oh, you've like been through some shit. Maybe mm-hmm. you can vote as an adult. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's make a special case <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering whether you think that this is going to impact like spur any sort of larger systemic change mm-hmm. or if mm-hmm. it's just if a fad. Yeah. Or, or if you're just concerned that this is going to be like a one. Right. So I think that like a lot of activists who work in this field Mm -hmm. are definitely trying to sort of like keep this momentum going and like get out to the public that, you know, Centoya Brown is like not at all like a one off. There are are thousands of Centoya Browns. Um, I was reviewing the stats on this earlier. Uh, Give me just a hot second. Yeah, bring it up. Um, Let's see, 60% of people in women's prisons nationwide uh, have a history of physical or sexual abuse before being incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And in some individual prisons, that can be as high as 94%. Uh, That's uh, some ACLU stats. 94%? Um, 94%. Wait, 94% have been abused? In in some, yeah, in some individual prisons, it can be as high as 94%, like women that have been abused before they were incarcerated. And so the nationwide average is like 60 percent um and that average is bananas like if you want to think about like a pathology Mm -hmm. right like about a a cause and effect Mm -hmm. i mean that is it takes a lot less to prove a lot of other things yeah absolutely you know yeah um so like by no means is this like an isolated instance yeah uh so i anticipate that we're going to see like people's like pushing a lot to try like make make sure that's known and like sort of get that information out there Mm -hmm. to be like there are there are so many other people that need similar advocacy uh also like pushing at towards like elected officials governors have like clemency powers so like even if people like Santoya Brown are jailed who have no business being jailed Mm -hmm. they can like like pardon them and a lot of them just don't use this power at all. Like, how long was Santoya Brown in jail? Like a decade, fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. Um, like that's that's absurd. And the governor of Tennessee it was a Repu- Republican governor and was mm-hmm. outgoing, and so it was kind of like a perfect opportunity. I don't know yeah. if he was like looking he can for... do one good thing. Yeah, and yeah. like if he had been, I mean, obviously it's like after the elections and stuff. But mm-hmm. if he had been going for re-election, would he have done this? Because mm-hmm. right, would this right. have would they have seen a black woman and been like? 
nah, I'm not going to, like, all yeah. the fucking racists. Like, she's a black woman, and she killed somebody. Yeah, exactly. And, like, she was a sex worker. Yeah, without yeah. ever knowing any mm-hmm. of the backstory, without ever knowing anything. Mm-hmm. And would he have would he have done that if his seat was, if he, right. if he yeah. was up for election at uh-huh. that time? If he could have you know? faced any, like, electoral consequences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. When, like, this was so clearly something that should have been done a decade ago. Right. Yeah, especially, and I know that this is after the fact, but especially when we just had the FOSTA-SESTA legislation go through Mm -hmm. that is looking at, you know, trying to stop sex trafficking and you have a victim of sex trafficking Uh in jail for killing someone who was trying to rape her because it is by definition rape. She was 16 years old. Yeah, (laughs) I think think there are a couple things to consider here. One is just like, the absence of rights that women in general have had in this country for so long. Mm-hmm. Like it took it took a very long time for like marital rape to be outlawed because mm-hmm. yeah, it was just like, oh, you're married, so it's fine. And then going even further back than that, uh, like for for black women in particular, it wasn't just legal, it was like encouraged, it was profitable, uh, because that's how you can make more slaves. Uh, right, right. So yeah, so like when you consider that, it's like it is like long and grand in the history that this was fine to abuse like black women and girls. Mm. Uh, and I think uh, her name is like Mariam Kaba is like a like activist uh, who's like done a lot of work on this issue. I think she like put it really well, which said that like black women and girls have no selves to defend, just like legally, just like mm-hmm. uh, that sort of like shows like why you'll be struggling to have like sp- like uh, successful self defense claims because they the law in the eyes of the law and in the eyes I guess of like your sort of typical juror. I'm putting that in quotes, folks who are listening. Uh, <laughs> so, um, like you're not worth defending. You like are no one to defend. Um, so I think those are those are like important things at play here when we see why why her claim may not have been successful. And I guess also if you think about why she was tried as an adult, uh, there's so much like data on like black kids being like like uh, like for uh foreseen i guess so it takes i'm thinking that they're older than they are like you can think of like trayvon martin mm-hmm. uh yeah you can think of like mike brown uh just like regularly thinking that they're older than they are and i think in the case of black boys it's often that'll that leads more to death because you're thinking of the sort of like violent criminality is what they think about black men but with black girls i think you'll see more of like sexual assault being like oh you're a grown woman and this is how we treat grown women yeah. Oh. The more and more I learn, the grosser I think this country is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Seems right. As everyone grabs for their wine. I know. Guys. We're all drinking wine, guys. <laughs> like, take a sip. <laughs> no, it's it's like, it's it's a system that dehumanizes people and then expects them to to get by without any of the things that we as a society theoretically have decided that we all need. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like this idea that if you are arrested, you should seek counsel because it's somebody who knows more about this than you do. Yeah. Um, But God, it's like the valuation of human lives and the way that it's stratified Mm -hmm. and how clear it is by how laws are written, by how the legal system works and all this kind of stuff is just so yeah, it's like sickening. It's like I too am a person, and like I too an American. I yeah. too have rights. One of my favorite episodes was People Over Profit. Okay, yeah. Um, and I just kind of wanted to hear more about that in terms of like 
prison labor and rights to their children and monopolies. And if you even have any more information about like reproductive health and reproductive justice within the prison system, super vague, but like (laughs) your thoughts. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, on this very narrow subject. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, reproductive health in prisons is a huge issue for like a bunch of different reasons. Like I think, I think we can have like whole episodes on like any given one of the issues and there are so many. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we talked a bit about, about like Centoya Brown's case and about how like sexual assault survivors are criminalized. Um, but sexual assault is also an issue in prisons themselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, and this is the case in both men's prisons and women's prisons, like mm-hmm. so much so that we have like national jokes about it. Yeah. Like that never really Bars stri- of soap. Yeah, like don't yeah. shop the soap. I never, it never really occurred to me until I was like in college and a professor of mine said something about it. Like, like think about how common abuse has to be that everyone just sort of laughs about it now. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, and I was like struck by that. And the people who like are aren't involved in it are making right. fun of it. Like you're not even remotely like within that system and yeah. you're like, Haha, funny, right. you get raped if you drop a bar of soap in a shower. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm. Yeah, not funny, y'all. Not funny, just funny for how, anyone. And yeah. how much like men's sexual assault is laughed at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, at yeah. like, and I think like women's sexual assault not being believed, mm-hmm. but like just as a super sidebar, but I hate mm-hmm. it. I hate it when people make the joke if if a man gets put in prison for rape or pedophilia or something and they're just like, I hope he gets raped. And you know what? I hate, I've heard, I hear that comment so much. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that I really don't care for. I hate Mitch McConnell. Right. I do not wish rape on anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And that it's, that people are so flippant about talking about it. And it's gross. It's gross. And they don't, a lot of people that I, that I really care about would never say that about women. I ho- would never say, I hope she gets raped. But like this idea that like, that's a, an, an acceptable punishment mm-hmm. for a man is right. fucking disgusting. To yeah. Me. Yeah, absolutely. So sidebar. Anyway, carry, <laughs> carry on as, as you were. You know, this is like a huge issue in in prisons. Uh, hang on. I did some stat checks on this Go as for well. Uh, <laughs> I love that you're here with a notebook. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Yeah, I had this like great angry comment on one of my episodes. Oh, my God. Please <gasps> tell us about yeah. it. Oh, tell us about it. <laughs> uh, I, had, I had like linked an episode. I was like talking about it on my Tumblr account. Okay. And so I like said something and I like hyperlinked my episode. And then some guy replied like, your source on that was your own podcast you twat and and really escalated <laughs> quickly reaction uh, yeah. and I was like oh I mean God. because I researched and hyperlinked everything there and I didn't feel yeah. like duplicating my research here but you were more interested in name calling than learning anything yeah. so oh okay I guess I didn't put the precise number down but I just I just wanted to note mm-hmm. and it is confirmable uh, that women's prisons are overwhelmingly guarded by men Men. And then when you like think about that and factor in that prison's like an inherently coercive environment, like mm-hmm. it doesn't end well. And that women, because again, because you're in prison, have no real opportunity for recourse. Right. Uh, and like you fear retaliation. Uh, so like that's just like one of many reproductive issues in within prisons. Um, another one is that 
a minority, but still, I think like five to 10% of women, uh, when they're admitted to prison, are already pregnant. Um, Really? Yeah. Um, wow. I didn't so yeah, it's like still a minority, but it's like not it's no. not nothing. Yeah, that's not uh, an insignificant number. Right. Yeah, by any means. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and healthcare in in prisons is like bad in all respects. But it's like especially so when it comes to like reproductive healthcare. Uh, like <sighs> I these, can't even imagine our reproductive healthcare in general. Yeah, is it's bad. Shitty, so like, yeah, I was just thinking about that. I feel like I've read stories about people being handcuffed while they're giving birth yeah one of my one of my friends is actually like representing a woman right now in a lawsuit who uh was shackled when she was giving birth where do you think they're gonna fucking go right yeah it doesn't it doesn't make any sense fuck Uh you Mm -hmm. yeah I, i mean i just like that that blows my that blows my fucking mind like it's not like no one's gonna fucking get up with a baby like fucking trailing behind them. Like, oh, them. time to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Juices prison. Santa, Santa sack. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, that just would accentuate the power dynamic as it is, which is right. like, we're going to do this because we can. We don't have to, mm-hmm. but we yeah, need like, to make you feel yeah. as insignificant as we think that you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that extends on to voting rights and like how it oh, how yeah. it then affects your life beyond mm-hmm. not being able to vote, not being able to get a job, potentially like all of these other things. It's just like becomes extra clear, like what happens when you don't consider people who are in prison as people. Yeah. And like the same can be said as like low income people and people of color. But when you like don't think these people are people, like you're free to abuse them in all sorts of all sorts of ways. Like do all sorts of dehumanizing things. Like it's it's traumatizing for a mother to have to give birth in shackles and like to like first time you're like seeing your child yeah. to be chained to a bed. That's awful. Another thing that's worth noting there is how overwhelmingly like women who are in prison are mothers um i believe it's over over half of women in prisons and jails are mothers of minors so even like young children at that uh which is interesting is the wrong word but i guess important to note uh that you know family separation isn't only happening at the borders it's like happening in our prisons as well yeah um yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the huge parallels here is that people are really um, and I and I will and I will blame myself as well. Um, I think that people have been really, really outraged about what's been happening as, at the border, as yeah, we all agreed. should be. Yeah. And the um, policy being to separate families as like the point like that's of the, the goal. That's the goal. Uh-huh. It's not like this is an unfortunate byproduct. This is this is our technique to Mm -hmm. make you not want to come here and so we're going to threaten you with this horrific thing Uh but we've been doing this for a really fucking long time yeah and the prison industrial complex is so tight Mm -hmm. and so well done and and i don't mean well done in like a good way but Mm -hmm. it's so efficient Mm -hmm. in the way that it is executed that it's not Unless you seek it out, it's not often included in mainstream conversation. Yeah, and definitely. Because it's not something that has all of a sudden happened. It's not like one day this happened. Mm-hmm. It happened over time. And that's right. the way that that like these insidious things happen. Uh-huh. That it happens slowly over time. These rates keep increasing. Mm-hmm. It's this 
horrible system. It's a for-profit system. Right. Anybody who thinks it's about punishing people, it's not. It's about making money. Yeah. Um, and it's about making money at the expense of people who are underrepresented on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I'm also guilty of of being very upset by what was happening at the border and not being active mm. in in this in no, the, the I, prison. I was the same way. I like didn't make that connection at first either. And it's sort of like, you know, like um like how how you how you cook a frog, you like just like turn up the temperature over time. Mm-hmm. Um and so I love that you think that that's a totally like standard everyone knows oh. how to cook a frog. <laughs> Come on, Jesse, it's how you cook a frog. <laughs> it's like, if you turn it up too hot right away, the frog will jump out. Oh, okay, okay, you okay, gotta okay. ease it into its death. Look, I'm from Southern Maryland. I'm sorry. I'm literally just like, where are you from? That that's like super standard. I love that. You have to turn up the temperature gradually over time right. so you get acclimated. And mm-hmm. I think that's what, that's what happens with a lot of us. We like, yeah. don't really... We're not really cognizant of just how bad it is because there's been these incremental changes over time, normally out of our sight as well. Right. Yeah. Um, normally, I'll say, uh, at least for I don't know. Like, I think if you look at the stats, it's something like 50 percent of people have a relative in prison. So I guess for that half, it's not normal. It's like very clear for them. Mm-hmm. But for like another like 50 percent, it's probably going to be out of sight. And I want to say that there's probably a decent percentage of that 50 percent. Because I know that over time, visitations of people goes down and down and down. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. you just stop, ca- like, caring as much. Yeah, yeah these people yeah. are just sort of discarded. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's 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 what we do here, though, is mm-hmm. we discard people. We discard sick people and mm-hmm. old people and incarcerated people. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Are there movements happening, like, within the prison system on this specific on this specific issue, do you know? So uh, definitely about prison rights generally. And I can't speak to the breadth of the activism, but I feel like there has to be some that like, at least I was cognizant of it. Right, um, right, right. Uh, about like women's, women's healthcare issues in prisons. I know uh, If, When, How is a reproductive rights organization and they've done some good work about uh, reproductive health in prisons. Um, I want to say Survived and Punished has done some good work about uh, sexual assault uh, survivors then being criminalized and put into prison. Mm -hmm. Those are the the two that I can think of at the top of my head. Oh, um... Rewire does some great uh, like journalism about reproductive health issues, including stuff in prisons. Mm-hmm. They're like more broad, but they have some good work on that issue as well. Um, I think it was from Rewire that I learned about uh, how rampant sterilization in prisons still, still is. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Okay, tell me. Uh, it was... <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> right. It's horrifying. So like I... I too thought I was like, oh, we still do that. Like yeah, I thought, no, I had no idea. I thought that was done, um, but I recently learned that between I want to say like 2006 and 2010 or so, like over a hundred women were sterilized in California prisons. What the fuck? Uh, wow. Yeah. Like, how do they fucking justify that? Right. So there are there are a couple different ways. Um, some the women like aren't even really consenting to. They just go ahead and do it, which is like a huge invasion and violation wow. of bodily autonomy. Like, say say it's a woman who came into a prison uh, already pregnant. Like when they deliver the baby, 
when she's giving they birth. Just go They'll in. just tie some tubes. Um, God, I just yeah. The degree to which women's bodies aren't our own mm. is like. But I was recently reading about a case where the judge was outright like, I'll give you less prison time if you get sterilized. Uh, So now people are thinking like, you know, do I want to ever have kids in my future? Do I want to like go home faster? Probably the kids I already have since a lot of women in prison are mothers. Um, That is so not a fair bargain. It's really, really not. You don't get to bargain that. You're not like a fucking stray dog. What the fuck? But it's also like... This would never happen to a dude. Mm-hmm. Like, no judge would ever say, Absolutely not. let me give you less prison time if you get castrated. Right. Like, I can't yeah. imagine that ever happening. Uh-huh. Actually, I was wrong. As of 2018, there were seven states in the U.S. that allow chemical castration as punishment for sex offenders in California, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Montana, Oregon, and Wisconsin. Oklahoma State Representative Rick West floated a chemical castration bill in his state in 2018. And in Tennessee in May of 2017, Judge Sam Benningfield issued a standing order that gave inmates 30 days credit towards jail time if they opted for a contraceptive procedure or um, so in women, it was free birth control implant. And for men, it was a vasectomy. So there is male sterilization. And just so everyone knows, sterilization for like everyone is wrong unless you want it for yourself. Yeah, it's coercive as fuck. Yeah, that's wrong. 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 All right, back to the episode. (laughs) And I'm appalled by this idea, but I'm not surprised by it. Mm -hmm. That like women should bargain with their own bodies right especially considering that if you want like if you don't want to have children and uh you want to get your tubes tied early it's really hard to find a doctor to do it right yeah that's part of that i was thinking about the same thing just when you think about like how difficult it is to like <laughs> access that kind of health care outside of prisons or to to get the type of like birth control you desire and then when you look at in prisons and like how people are like without any choice of their own yeah. really or not, not any free choice of their own like getting sterilized then i just think it really tells you a lot about like who the, like the state is picking and choosing who they think should be mothers right. and then forcing that choice upon people yeah and that's insane and again i know i know i'm like occasionally one of those people who was like this is like slavery but it really is like no, slavery it is um, no yeah yeah just like still just sort of deciding like who is going to be a mother and like at what point like you're making people's bodily decisions for them yeah and it's also thinking about the fact that when you look at the way that policy is written, um, that women are largely valued by their ability to give birth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then once they give birth, they're valued less than the child. But if women are valued by their ability to give birth and then the state takes that value away from them that is already imposed on women, Mm -hmm. what does that say to the women that they do that to? Right. You know, how does that reinforce kind of like the valuation of who, who is worthy of that, of that, ability and who is not because it's like not so subtly saying like i don't think you should procreate right. yeah. i don't want more of you i don't yeah. want more of you yeah it's a different version of ethnic cleansing cleansing mm-hmm. isn't it yeah, yeah. i mean um, when you consider that like uh women of color are disproportionately represented in prisons as well yeah mm-hmm. exactly um, yeah and it's it's you know i god what was i no it was i was about to say what was i reading no i was listening to your podcast <laughs> 
<laughs> and I think that you said something about um, you did. You're talking about voting rights, which is a great episode, and you should listen to it. We'll link it in the episode <laughs> notes. Um, about people who talk about um, getting more access to, like, giving more people access to voting rights, and the fact that the, that pe- certain people can't vote is not an accident. It was by design. Mm-hmm. Right. That's absolutely. the way the system was made. Mm-hmm. Because what we want to do, and we not we sitting here today, but like what the people in power want to do is continue to be in power. And so what do they do? They look at the fact that 94% of black women voted for Hillary Clinton and Mm. they say, cool, how can we restrict that? Yeah. Not allow those people to vote because they are voting for like for the future of America and Mm -hmm. not for a regression. Yeah. They don't benefit from it. Right. Exactly. It's all about, it's all about like, yeah. Your coffers. There was this great judicial opinion a few years ago. Uh, I want to say it was like a circuit level case, like one of the like appellate courts that mm-hmm. and I want to say it include the district, including North Carolina, I'm pretty sure. Um, but the judge was like the uh, lawmakers uh, at the state targeted black voters with, and I'm quoting here, almost surgical precision. And I was just like so <gasps> struck by that line. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, wow, you really did exactly what you have to do to make sure that like black people can't vote. Yeah. <laughs> surgical precision. Yeah. Like, but when you look at the way that the, at like how districts are drawn mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it's yeah. completely it's totally intentional to disenfranchise people. Mm-hmm. You can just like <laughs> I. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for your. I mean, for your interview, but for your podcast, I yeah, it's uh, it it works so well for my brain in like terms <laughs> of like breaking down the fucking American justice system. It's yeah, it was amazing to listen to. So everyone listen to it. Yeah, no, seriously, listen to it. It's, it's so good. It's so I am super pumped to know that like folks actually like it. Love it. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much for having me here today. This Yay. was awesome. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Jumps into uh, a pot of boiling water. It jumps right out again because it senses the danger. But the very same frog, if it jumps into a pot of lukewarm water, that is slowly brought to a boil will just sit there and it won't move. It'll just sit there even as the temperature continues to go up and up. It'll stay there until, until. Okay. Well, since we were so amused by dropping the frog in the boiling water, we thought that we would share some adages. This one's about life. If everything is coming your way, then you're in the wrong lane. So my grandma, my grandma always used to say, uh, if someone would compliment me and be like, oh, Rebecca's so funny, or oh, you know, she has such nice hair, and my grandma would be like, well, she didn't lick it off a bush. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But I like it, and I say it now. Or uh, don't take any wooden nickels. My dad says that to me all the time. I've heard that one. Don't take any wooden nickels. Who took wooden nickels? I don't know. An idiot. It's like the worst type of uh, counterfeit money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to scratch it. You just look at it. So my mom, instead of saying six of one, half dozen of the other, she'll just be like, meh, six of one. She doesn't even finish the adage. <laughs> That's the first half. A peacock who sits on his tail is just another turkey. <laughs> That's a good one. That's my favorite one so far. Yeah. A lie travels around the world while truth is putting her boots on. Oh, my God. Marriage is a three-ring circus, engagement ring, wedding ring, and suffering. 
I like that one. I that's also a like good that one. one. That's my favorite one. That's about how I feel about yeah. marriage. Yeah. How about, okay, I've got another family one because oh. my family had so many. Um, when I was growing up and, my, and we would do something bad, my dad, and we'd be like, or we'd ask a question like, oh, I wanted a big trampoline. Can I have a big trampoline? And my dad would be like, no. And I would say, why? And he'd say, I'm going to write you a letter. That was it. That was the end of it. What let does me, that mean? Let me write you a letter. I guess with all of the reasons. I never got a single letter. I'll have you know. <laughs> he never wrote a letter. He never wrote one. It's not, I guess it's not an adage, but I was telling this story at Easter and my mom was like, that didn't happen, which is garbage because it definitely happened more than once. But one time in particular, I was in the living room and I was doing dance moves for like uh, spirit week mm-hmm. and I kicked my leg up in the air, but my pants were so tight that my other leg went up with the leg that I kicked. <laughs> <laughs> so I landed back on my head and my mom walked by with a laundry basket, like not two seconds later. And I was on the ground and she was like, cowgirl up and just walked by <laughs> and like, didn't ask if I was okay. Didn't check on me, which, you know, I appreciate now I was telling the story because I thought it was funny. But at Easter, my mom was like, that didn't happen. And I was like, it definitely happened. I've gotten the chin up a couple of times mm-hmm. and like in experiences when it's like, this isn't about my chin being up. I'm really upset. <laughs> like, my dog died. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> you ready? Yes. We can just do it. Thank you for listening to Welcome to My Vagina. It's time for us to slide on out of here. It never gets less gross. <laughs> Make sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. Oh my God, please rate and review us. Please. It really helps. It helps so much. Do we sound desperate yet? Because we are. A little bit. A little bit desperate. If you love us, then you'll write about us. You can also check us out on Instagram at Welcome to My Vagina. On Twitter at Welcome to My Vag. Uh, at YouTube, you can just type in Welcome to My Vagina. And send us an email at welcometomyvagina.com. We also have an email. If you want to email us questions, we're totally down to answer them at welcometomyvagina.com. I'm going to not correct myself. Just, you know, you get it. Vagina. Check out all of Rebecca's musings at franklyrebecca.com. And make sure to check out all of the other awesome content at More Banana. Yeah. Thanks, Caitlin. She's our producer. Okay, thanks. Bye. See you next Tuesday.